the person with an anxiety disorder can have all of the same physical feelings, even thoughts in their head of worrying in the absence of any kind of trigger or anything, any stressor around them. You can go sit on a beach where everyone's just relaxing and still feel this way. That's one of the differences kind of illustrating the experience of someone who has anxiety versus who is experiencing anxiety as a reaction to something. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Hey, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and calling into the show today, we have Dr. Tracy Marks. Dr. Marks has been a general and forensic psychiatrist for over 20 years, has over a million YouTube followers, and is the author of the new book, Why Am I So Anxious? Powerful Tools for Recognizing Anxiety and Restoring Your Peace. Dr. Marks, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. I want to disclose to to you and to the listeners that I live with generalized anxiety disorder and have panic attacks. Now, my disorder is pretty well contained due to medication and years of experience, learned coping skills, and lots and lots and lots of therapy. When the pandemic hit, it, it did seem like everyone was being diagnosed with some type of anxiety disorder. And as someone who has really struggled with anxiety, I was I was very sympathetic. I, I am sympathetic, but as time marched on, I, I got to become very concerned about overdiagnosis. As an expert, Dr. Marks, I, I wanted to ask you, what's your take on the uptick of anxiety in the U.S.? So I think it's twofold. It's one, an increase in actual incidence of anxiety disorders, because there's a difference between having anxiety and having a disorder because of world conditions, pandemic, economic pressures, political unrest, all of that stuff happening at the same time. But then I do think some aspect of it is also just an increase in awareness and more people talking about it. One of the things that I think about as a mental health advocate is that we share words, right? A anxiety can mean I'm anxious because I have to give a speech. And anxiety can mean generalized anxiety disorder. It can mean agoraphobia. It could mean panic attacks. It, it, it can be a very, very serious disorder. But I think there's a difference maybe between diagnosable anxiety disorders and anxiety in the normal human spectrum of emotions. Yes, it is. A problem sometimes, this overlap in the words and how we use them. So there is, I'm depressed today versus I actually have major depressive disorder. You can be in a funk for the day and feel low, but not necessarily have a disorder that goes with that. And same thing with anxiety. You can feel anxious, but not have an anxiety disorder. And I'll get to the difference in a minute. But one thing that I think that does, a downside of this overlap in the terminology, is that people can come to not really respect the disorders because the words are just thrown around so much. So if I'm feeling depressed, I may be in a depressive episode, but people can just say, well, just, just go do something, make yourself feel better. And real depression doesn't work that way. You can't just snap it on and off and feel better, or let's go have fun and I'll help pull you out of this depression. That unfortunately makes it harder, I think, for people to understand the extent of the disorders 
and maybe even minimize those because we just kind of throw the words around. Obviously, we have the the uptick in anxiety, and, and we certainly have an uptick in, in conversations about anxiety. But then we also have this other group that's like, look, bad stuff happens. Who cares? And and they are completely unmoved by everything that's been happening in our country. They, they have no extra anxiety to speak of. In some cases, they're, they're not understanding of why anybody would have anxiety about what's going on at all. What does make some people react very anxiously and other people are just like, eh, you know, stuff happens. Who cares? Move along. The one way to describe anxiety is like a bifurcated approach to it. One side is the state of anxiety, which is what you experience with the anxiety symptoms that you have at the moment, worrying, heavy breathing, feeling nauseous, whatever your anxiety symptoms are, that's the state of anxiety. And then on the other side is anxiety traits. Anxiety traits is what you're born with. Some people are born with more of a predisposition to become anxious because of their temperament. It's like your hardwiring. And with that hardwiring, kind of two types of anxiety or anxious hardwiring or temperaments would be people who are neurotic, which neuroticism is a tendency toward having more negative emotional experiences, whether that be depression or anxiety. And then there's a harm avoidance temperament, which is someone who tends to worry more about future events. Some people have less tolerance for uncertainty. So not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen with flu season or a bunch of people going to get sick. There are some people who think, well, I'll just go get my shot and, you know, whatever. We'll get through this. We always get through this. There's always the flu. And then there are people who may be fretting, really nervous and anxious and worrying that someone they know is going to die. They may be losing sleep over it. How you are wired can also affect how much you experience anxiety on a day-to-day basis. And then another factor that's beyond just biology is your environment. You can learn to be anxious from your parents or people around you, either because of overparenting is seen as a source of developing anxiety, being overprotective of you and not allowing you to be able to experience consequences and learn from them. Instead, you're you're shielded from them. And then also sitting around the dinner table, having parents or people you look up to spreading about things can teach you to also fear, fear the future and fear uncertainty. I see out in the greater community, people are starting to roll their eyes at anxiety. They're starting to get to this, uh, it, it, you know, we, it's become oversaturated, right? It, it reminds me of that television show that everybody loves and then everybody hates because they just see it too much. My concern is, and, and my question for you is, uh, it's twofold, right? We've got the people who are starting to dismiss anxiety as, look, this is just the way of the world. It's not that serious. But then the people with anxiety are starting to absorb those messages as well and think, well, look, I'm not going to bring it up. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be mocked. I don't want to be told that I'm on the bandwagon or seeking attention. And those people aren't seeking help. How does a person know when they need to seek help from anxiety? And uh, 
when they don't and how can they avoid sort of the noise that our society has created because anxiety has become a little bit of a popular topic, which has created a little bit of a fad mentality surrounding it. Wow. Um, how much time you got? <laughs> I mean, this is a very loaded <laughs> question that I could go on for a bit about. It is a shame that it can reach this point of people dismissing it because they're tired of talking about it. On the one hand, I do recognize that there are people who may be overcalling it, you know, again, raising their hand and saying, yeah, oh, yeah, I have that too. But still, we've come a long way in helping people who were in the shadows and afraid to talk about their experiences to now be able to say, this is what I have. And I'm not afraid to talk about this because there's other people who have this too. And I know I'm not alone with this. And when I, when I say this, I think about teenagers because that is generally when anxiety starts. Yes, it can start later in life, but the teen years, those are very vulnerable years. And, and I'm not saying teens are anxious because they're vulnerable because you don't have to develop anxiety as a teen, but it starts early. And you can see it in ways that may not quite be so obvious, like teens who are, let's say, pulling their hair, not sleeping, not eating, being very shy, feeling very uncomfortable around people, avoiding things, not having any friends. I mean, all of those are beneath those can be anxiety. That's not always because of anxiety. So so it saddens me to think about the prospect of people going from saying, oh, wow, I'm not alone in this struggle and there's more information out there that can help me. Yay, I'm going to avail myself of it. Going from that to let me keep my mouth shut because people are just going to shut me down because they don't want to hear this stuff and think that, okay, I'm just one more person thinking that I have anxiety. Unfortunately, this has always been the case with mental health issues. I mean, there's there's still a huge, significant number of people who believe that if you talk about suicide, you give people the idea and shut down all conversations about suicide. And we know that talking about suicide, raising the issue of suicide prevents suicide. It's well understood. And, and yet this myth still persists. So it's it's not surprising that as, as Americans, many Americans are finally willing to talk about some sort of mental health crisis. And, and make no mistake, it, anxiety is a mental health crisis. It, it's not a surprise that they're getting it wrong. What I want to push back to and, and talk specifically to somebody listening who doesn't want to bring this up to their friends and family because they are afraid of being labeled attention-seeking or people are just tired of talking about it. Speaking to that person who is listening because they feel that they're having an anxiety issue, a crisis, a problem, what should their next steps be? If they're unwilling to talk to friends and family, where should they turn and where should they go for help? Because I'm, I'm guessing that if they're tuning in, they're, they're seeking some advice. Sure. So first, let me touch on what takes this to the level of a disorder or to the point where you really should look beyond yourself, beyond self-help measures. With the anxiety, 
I was going to say with the anxiety disorders, but it's not just anxiety disorders, all of the disorders, one of the criteria after you list all the symptoms is that it also causes functional problems in your social, occupational, or personal functioning that you have trouble in any one of those areas. For example, let's say I have, I've noticed that I'm worrying more and maybe I am occasionally having attacks of panic, but I can still get up and go to work every day. I'm still getting adequate sleep. It's not affecting my my appetite. I can still socialize with people and whatnot. Then those problems, they're a nuisance, but they're manageable. And maybe it will go away or maybe self-help things will help me be able to rein those those problems or those symptoms in, as opposed to the person for whom there are areas of their life that are starting to crumble beneath them because of these problems. You know, the average amount of sleep that an adult should get is seven to nine hours. If you're more nights than not sleeping less than six hours, that's a problem. Now, some people intentionally do that because, you know, they're trying, they're working hard and things like that. It's still not healthy, but that's different from the person who can't go to sleep or can't sleep through the night because they keep waking up or they just can't settle their mind down. Their mind's racing at night. Some people will wake up in the morning and feel nauseous and then therefore have trouble eating, have to call in sick from school or work and things like that. So when it gets to the point where it's starting to affect your day-to-day functions, that's the red flag that tells you, okay, maybe now you need to get professional help. Probably the most accessible doctor to see if you were going to see a doctor first would be your primary care doctor. And some of them will be able to help to some extent with anxiety, or they may refer you to a psychiatrist. But a lot of primary care doctors handle kind of first level anxiety and depression issues and people without those people ever seeing a psychiatrist. And then there's seeing a therapist. So you don't necessarily have to seek medication. How would you know if you need medication? Well, that's where a doctor could make that determination, but also a therapist could probably or should be able to tell you, hmm, I don't know if we're going to get very far in me helping you manage these symptoms without you getting some kind of additional help. I think you'd be a good person to also see a doctor. So therapists usually will put themselves in that position as well of determining, is this beyond therapy or do I think we can manage this all with therapy? Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. Hey, everyone. My name is Rachel Star Withers, and I live with schizophrenia. I'm also the host of Inside Schizophrenia, a podcast that dives deep into all things schizophrenia, featuring personal experiences and experts to help you better understand and navigate schizophrenia. 
Inside Schizophrenia is a Psych Central and Healthline Media podcast, and we're available right now on your favorite podcast player. Check us out. And we're back with Dr. Tracy Marks, author of Why Am I So Anxious? Powerful Tools for Recognizing Anxiety and Restoring Your Peace. Dr. Marks, what are some of your favorite tools to manage anxiety? I know that your book has a number of examples, but what are your favorites and and what are some quick tips that you can give to our listeners? So my absolute favorite is aromatherapy. I really, really love creating either diffusing it or making my own inhaler and using that while I'm doing something unpleasant. So if I have to do something that is not going to be very fun for me. I'm not looking forward to, but it, I just got to get it done. I may diffuse a relaxing essential oil in the room or have an inhaler on hand. Sometimes I'll even mix it with a carrier oil and put it on my skin. Um, I use a sleep oil every night that has relaxing essential oil. So what are some of my favorite oils that way? Even though lavender is very popular and it is a relaxing essential oil, it's actually not my favorite. I like clary sage. I like Roman chamomile and neroli. And those are probably ones that not everyone has heard of because they're not, they're not very popular. But I do give examples of several relaxing essential oils in my book and describe them and things and even give the recipe that I use to create the sleep oil that I use every night on my chest to help me relax for sleep. So that's one thing. Essential oils is one of my favorite go-tos. I also like practicing mindfulness in everyday activities. So mindfulness is bringing yourself into the present moment without judgment. I often or most times am thinking about something else that is not related to what I'm doing in the moment. That's pretty common for a lot of us to do. If I'm washing dishes, instead of me focusing on the dishes, I'm thinking about my to-do list of some other things I have to do after I finish washing the dishes. That kind of mindless thinking generates more tension and anxiety, not necessarily makes you anxious, but it sets the groundwork for being more tense and uptight than mindful living and thinking. So to do it mindfully, as far as washing the dishes, I would be focusing on my senses to focus in on what's going on in the moment. I notice the temperature of the water, the texture of the plate. Can I smell the soap? Things like that of just zoning in on what's going on in the moment. Another example of that, and I'm guilty of this, of going to see my son play in his orchestra concert instead of just completely immersing myself in that moment of listening to the music and all of that. You know, I'm thinking about, okay, now when I go home, I need blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah, I forgot to text this person back. That's horrible. That's a horrible way to be. And we are often living like that. And uh, it's very taxing on your mind, having all of that heavy thought processing going on. So instead, I have to remind myself to put myself in this moment and those things that I think I need to think about and plan for later, those will be there when I'm done. They're not going to go anywhere. And if I'm worried that I'm going to forget about some things that I need to do, then I do my next thing, which is 
a form of journaling. I really like journaling, but this, you know, you may not think of it as journaling, but essentially getting thoughts out of my head and onto paper. So write down all of these things that I think I need to work through later instead of working through them in my head while I'm at my son's orchestra concert, write them down on paper. Then I can feel good about the fact that this stuff that I wrote on paper is going to remind me of these things that I need to do. And I don't have to keep doing refresh in my mind of all these things so that I don't forget them. Dr. Marks, I really appreciate you taking the time to give some hints that anybody can try. They they can modify it to meet their needs. So thank you for the simple tips. Absolutely. Actually, I want to add one more, and that is the use of a weighted blanket. I love my weighted blanket. And the concept behind it is deep pressure touch as an intervention for anxiety or to produce relaxation. The recommendation for how heavy it should be is about 10% of your body weight. So it's not just, you know, my grandmother's knitted blanket and it's pretty heavy. No, these blankets actually have like these beads or something in them that that's heavy. You don't have to just use it while you're sleeping. It could be something you can sit on the couch and watch a movie or do something else relaxing on the couch or listen to your podcast, you know, in a comfy chair with your weighted blanket on your lap. Any advice that includes listen to Gabe's podcast is always going to be my favorite (laughs) thing to try. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Where can folks find you, your book? What's your YouTube channel? Give everybody all the information that they need to find you online. The main place I am located on social media is YouTube. And my handle for that is Dr. Tracy Marks, D-R and then Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-Y, Marks, M-A-R-K-S. And that's the same handle that's also used for Instagram and TikTok, where I am also located. My Instagram content is more bite-sized mental health tips. My central hub, in case you can't remember any of that stuff, is my website, which is markspsychiatry.com. And I have information there about my book, Why Am I So Anxious, as well as my social media content. Dr. Marks, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for interviewing me, Gabe. I really enjoyed talking with you. Oh, you are very welcome. And a big thank you to all of our listeners. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations. I'm also an award-winning public speaker who could be available for your next event. My book is on Amazon because, well, everything's there. But you can get a signed copy with free show swag and learn more about me just by heading over to GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free. And hey, can you do me a favor? Recommend the show. Friends, family members, colleagues, and a support group. Sharing the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening.